Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. During the seasons of Epiphany and Lent here at Kenilworth Union this year, Christine and I are preaching a sermon series called The Unnamed about the scores, maybe hundreds of characters in the biblical narrative that are very important to the story, but they never get a name, including this morning this wonderful story of Pharaoh's daughter. So the story that we're thinking about today happens around 1400 years before Jesus. The Jews have been living in Egypt for 300 years now, 12 generations, too complicated to explain why the Jews from Palestine are living in Egypt. But suffice it to say that in contemporary America, as in ancient Egypt, it's always the aliens and the immigrants who are doing the essential work that the natives don't want to do themselves, like making and laying bricks for Pharaoh's plush pyramids and palaces. Nevertheless, the Jews are doing just fine in Egypt. Thank you very much. In fact, they're having so many children that, like Steve Bannon and Tucker Carlson today, the Pharaoh is worried that the immigrants are going to take over. So the Pharaoh makes like Vladimir Putin and has his minions start murdering every baby boy born to a Hebrew woman. But this one Hebrew woman has this baby who is so cute and so beautiful and so perfect that she cannot even think of turning him over to these brutal Russian soldiers. So, what does she do? She builds him a little basket, or an ark, or a boat, and she places him in the bottom of the boat and pushes it out into the Nile and watches him float downstream in this little ark, which is not a promising beginning for anybody's life, but at least it's better than having your brains bashed out by Pharaoh Kum Putin. This Hebrew mother tells the baby's older sister to follow him downriver to see what will happen to him. But, of course, this is one of God's patented providential parables. So what happens? Little baby Moses, in his private little kayak, bumps right into the painted toenails of none other than Pharaoh's daughter herself. She's gone down to the Nile to bathe. She fishes the baby out of the river, lifts the lid on the ark, and takes one look at this adorable little, little baby, falls instantly and madly in love, is completely undone by his cuteness, and decides to take him home with her to the palace. And here's the cleverest part of this already delightful little story. The baby's older sister has been watching all this from behind the bulrushes, and just then she pops out of the reeds and she says, Excuse me, your highness, but if you take this baby home with you, what's he going to eat? You can't feed him. You're not a mother. Let me find you a wet nurse. And the princess says, Great idea. I'll pay her for it. Guess who the wet nurse turns out to be? Damn straight. The baby's own mother. So Pharaoh's palace is going to pay Moses' mother to do something she would gladly do for free anyway, nurse her own baby. What's the going rate for a wet nurse? I have no idea, but it's a living. This is one of those classic tales 
you find among every people, in every land, in every age, in every language where the oppressed poke poke a finger into the eye of the oppressor. The oppressed humiliate the oppressed. You know, like Hogan's Heroes, where the POWs are running the concentration camp instead of the witless Nazis who are supposed to be in charge? Or the roadrunner, who's supposed to be the prey, but he's way smarter than the coyote, the predator? Or have you ever seen this wonderful movie, Django Unchained, where Jamie Foxx and Kerry Washington make fools of Leonardo DiCaprio and Samuel Jackson, even though the latter have all the power? With these kinds of stories, it gives a chance for the powerless to poke a finger into the eye of the powerful. Anyway, Moses' mother ends up nursing her son for two years, and then, as in the contract, she gives him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who takes him into the palace. So Moses becomes a prince of Egypt. He gets all the best food, all the best education, all the best friends, a prince of Egypt, no less. And voila, the Hebrews, the enslaved Hebrews, have a champion and a secret agent living in Pharaoh's own house, spying on everything like it was a secret camera in the picture frame until that Annas Mirabilis when Moses will liberate the Hebrews from their slavery and lead them out of Egypt in the Exodus. All this because this unnamed princess rescues a baby from drowning in the Nile. Moses, you see, is the liberator, the freedom fire. Moses is the George Washington of the ancient Hebrews. There is no way to exaggerate Moses' importance to subsequent Hebrew history. Without Moses, the Hebrews have no history. Or to put it more accurately, their history, their future is enslaved and in despair and in chains. And so the text, the story, the Bible uh, author wants to guard and value the survival of baby Moses as much as the Terminator movies value the existence and survival of John Connor. You know, without their freedom fighter, John Connor, the humans have no history. They have no future. Skynet will kill them. And so the humans of the future are jealous in the survival of the young John Connor, they go to extremes to make sure that he survives. They will even send a cyborg back in time from the future to make sure this infant survived. The Terminator movies are nothing but a retelling of the story of Moses and the bulrushes. What's the point? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Think about this extraordinary young woman for a minute. Can you picture this woman splashing around in the waters of the Nile with her regal robes hiked hiked up to her knees, trying to grab a little dinghy with a precious cargo? She is a princess. Did you know there are something like 12 female pharaohs in the history of ancient Egypt, including Nefertiti, about the time of Moses, and Cleopatra, just a little before Jesus? I don't think this woman ever became a pharaoh herself. But that's how important she is. She has all the power in the world. She's a princess. She's way more powerful than Princess Grace of Monaco. She's way more powerful than Princess Catherine of Wales. She's way more powerful than Princess Meghan of Sussex. And in fact, the palace in ancient Egypt is going to hate her 
just as much as Buckingham Palace hates Meghan because her almost omnipotent father has ordered that every Hebrew baby boy should die. She's putting her own life at risk here. And yet this princess manages to find the humanity in the kayak. Since the day she was born, everybody around her, everybody who looks just like her, has told her that this baby boy is less than human. She does not believe them. She sees the humanity in the kayak. And if we cannot see the humanity in each other, we are all doomed. We are just doomed. Those Memphis police officers who beat Tyree Nichols to death, when did that all start to go wrong? It didn't start the moment they jumped out of their police cruisers and started hurling F-bombs at him like they were shotgun pellets. This all started the minute they joined the Scorpion unit and started learning a culture of law enforcement which was so blind and so deaf and so stupid and so obsolete it could not see the humanity in the citizens they are paid to protect. We're doomed if we can't see the humanity in each other. I think the most beautiful and moving book in my entire library is The Righteous. The Righteous by Sir Martin Gilbert, written in 2003. Subtitle of this book is The Unsung Heroes of the Holocaust. And it tells the story of hundreds of the Europeans who risked their own lives to save the Jews from the Nazis in the 1930s and 40s. In 1942... 74 Jewish children were smuggled into a tiny Italian town in the north of the country. 43 of those children had already had their parents disappeared at places like Auschwitz. Don Arrigo Beccari was a Roman Catholic priest at the seminary in this Italian village, and he convinced the mayor to let these 74 children live in a gigantic house in this little village. In 1942, remember, the penalty for hiding Jews was death. And so the children lived there secretly and safely for about a year before the Nazis or their Italian minions discover these children. But before the Gestapo can dispatch them, Father Bakari knocks on every single door in his village and begs the town folk to hide these children one by one if necessary. Think of what a Herculean task that would be. 74 different children. 73 of the 74 Jewish children find a hiding place. They stay there for five weeks. 73 of 74 Jewish children make it to Switzerland and survive the war. Someone asked me after the 830 service, well, what happened to the 74th? 74th child caught tuberculosis, and they took him to the hospital where he was discovered, and he died at Auschwitz. This happened 1942-1943. Fifty years later, when Father Bakari is 92 years old, 
Somebody asked him why he risked his life to protect children that were not his own. He said it was simple. They were children in danger. What would you have done? It's a question for all of us, right? What would you have done? Like that princess in the Nile so long ago, Father Bakari was able to sit to see the hidden, almost invisible humanity of those babies in the kayak. And so once again, 73 Jewish children are saved from certain death. There are 73 additional Moseses. Look closely at the other and the different. Do you see their humanity? If they are other from you and different from you, nevertheless, do you know that they are precious children of God too? Oh, by the way, one last thing. The Bible never gives Pharaoh's daughter a name in this story. But years later, the pharaohs will begin calling her Bithia. Bithia, which is an anglicized form of the Hebrew name Batya. Now, you might not know much Hebrew, but you know at least two words. If you've been to a bat mitzvah, you know that bat is Hebrew for daughter. And you also know that Yah is short for Yahweh. God's very own name. So Bithia is the daughter of God. God says to Bithia, You made Moses your son, even though he was not your son. Therefore, I will call you my daughter.